scene across the pond, uh, the church scene in the United States, it differs massively from that uh, of the United Kingdom. Perhaps nowhere is this more apparent than in our respective attitudes towards government and our respective attitudes towards politics. In the United States, there is a huge amount, it seems, of political engagement eh, from the Christian church, isn't there? I mean, congregations and denominations, sometimes they will take up a certain political stance on a, on a subject. Or you have evangelical ministers sometimes in the States, and they will join with representatives from the Catholic Church, representatives from uh, Mormonism, to sort of lobby government on particular social issues. You've got that going on. Whereas here in the United Kingdom, uh, perhaps because of inertia, the church has very, very little involvement in in political decision-making, does it? And now all of that kind of raises a question. We've got polar opposites there. Where should the church of Jesus Christ sit on our relationship with government? Where should we be? You know, should we be as engaged as some are in the United States? Should we be as disengaged as some are in the United Kingdom? Should we be in the middle ground? And I guess most pertinently of all, if we're supposed to be, is the middle ground, is that the biblical place to be? Is it? Well, given the uh, political events of the last couple of weeks, uh, I suppose this morning we come to a most topical we come to a most relevant portion of Scripture because what we've got in front of us in Acts 22 and Acts 23, what we see here is the Apostle Paul's perspective on power. So the intention this morning, our time together just now, is to look at these verses, to see these verses in, in, in some detail and really to ask what should the Christian's attitude be towards authority? What should the Christian attitude be towards government, to, towards authority? And um, if you're a regular in this church, you will know by now how this works, okay? Uh, what we're going to do is look at these verses that we've read, and we're going to try and, and highlight or pull out the main themes, some of the main themes, some of the main points. So with this said, uh, I invite you to have your Bibles open in front of you. Um, in Acts chapter 22. Okay, have, you, have the word of God open, Acts 22. Let's note the first thing here. Note that we learn here that Christians can resort to legal means. Christians can resort to legal means. Two weeks ago, uh, we saw that there was a riot uh, happening in the book of Acts. So, uh, the Apostle Paul had gone into Jerusalem. He'd arrived. And arrived only to find that that whole city just rises up and attacks him. And we noticed, didn't we, that it was actually the Romans. It was Roman soldiers that came in and rescued Paul. And do you remember, if you were here, do you remember how we left things? Well, it was a great scene. It was a wonderful scene. We had Paul, and he was standing in the center of Jerusalem on the steps. And before him was the whole of Jerusalem, and they were silent. And Paul was able to preach very, very personally about God's grace at work in his life. You know, that's how, that's how we left. It was an amazing scene. Now, as we start our section this morning, we are faced with a very, very confused 
Roman commander. This guy, from the very start of this uprising, the commander has been, he's been desperate to get to the bottom of why these Jews seem to be hating Paul. And he's totally clueless at this point, because here at the start, you saw when, when we read there at the beginning that, that, that the mob is again, after Paul's sermon, they are being for Paul's blood. They are furious again with Paul. But do you remember the detail from last week? Paul was preaching in what? Paul was preaching in Aramaic. So this Roman commander, he hasn't a clue what's going on. He's still entirely in the dark. He doesn't know why they hate Paul at this point. So do you see what the commander does? He takes Paul away at this point and he prepares him for flogging. Now that was that was just, you know, your standard way of trying to extract information from a prisoner. You kind of flogging standard way of interrogation. Now I think that it's this this right here is the sort of thing I'm gonna to have to tailor and I'm gonna to have to temper slightly when our children start coming in and sitting through the services. Um, Because I need to talk to you about flogging. And I need you to see that it was absolutely brutal. It was brutal. Flogging involved uh, the use of what was called a scourge. So you've got an instrument of torture. And see if you can picture it. You know, it had very sharp bits of metal, very sharp bits of stone. And they were attached uh, by a leather strap to this handle. I mean, that's, you know, brutal. And a severe flogging very often would result in a person, person's death. And if not, it would result in, in permanent damage of the person who was being flogged. These, I mean, that's, it's brutal, isn't it? I mean, it's vicious. And you see that it's that that the Apostle Paul is facing. I mean, he is stretched out. That's what, the, what's what we're told. He's stretched out. And he's just about to be flogged. That's what you've got here. But please know it is at that moment that Paul makes an inquiry. And the inquiry that Paul makes, it is going to shape everything for the remainder of the book of Acts. Okay? And it's so important. I want you to look at it. Look at the end of verse 25. If you've got your Bible there, please have a look at verse 25. What is it? Paul's stretched out here. What's his inquiry? Paul says, he asks him, is it legal... For you to flog a Roman citizen. Now I've struggled with this this week. I was thinking about this this week, thinking about it the past couple of days, even thinking about it this morning. It's like we just do not have an equivalent of a Roman citizen in our society, do we? And I guess the best thing that we can do is to think about a knight of, knight of the realm. I don't think we've got any knights of the realm in here this morning that I know of. Um, but you know how it works with a knight of the realm. If you've got a sir, someone, or lady, someone, treat them a wee bit differently, aren't they? I mean, you know, we, we show them respect. They, are, they have certain rights. They have certain privileges, don't they? Well, it's, it's that idea to the nth degree that you are dealing with, with a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen in this part of the world at this time was a person who should be shown respect. A person with lots of privileges. Most importantly, a person who should never be flogged without a proper trial. Do you see it? So when this Roman 
commander, when he hears that Paul is a Roman citizen, he is in there like a shot. You know, he's, you, you know, he's questioning him. And when he finds out that it is legitimate that Paul has, has inherited this right from his father, do you see the Roman commander's reaction? How does he respond? He is fearful. Do you hear that? I mean, he is, he is scared. The Roman commander is frightened. Why? Because he has broken the law. He was not allowed to do this. He has broken the law. He has mistreated a Roman citizen. Now, here's the deal. What did I say our theme was this morning? I said our theme was the Christian's attitude towards authority or towards government. Now, if our government is dominated by anything in the 21st century, it is dominated by the idea of tolerance. Isn't it? I mean, it's a great word. You've got to love the word intolerance. The problem with the word tolerance is just as a bit vague, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a bit subjective. But the question we've got to try and work out is what happens when our government or our society's pursuit of tolerance, what happens when that clashes with the church? What do we do? I mean, let's say later on this afternoon up north, let's say um, a minister is arrested because he is preaching about sin. And that's hate speech. Or let's say, this is so unlikely that a minister up north, he is arrested because he's been promoting a biblical view of sexuality. Now that's intolerant. What do we do? What does, what does that minister do? What does his congregation do? What does the Christian church? I mean, what do we do? do you know, because we're Christians, do we sit back and do we just cower because of this? Do we just hide? I mean, even if the legality of such an arrest is questionable, what do we do? Do we just sit back because we're Christians and just say, God's sovereign, we'll not do anything. God can deal with this. He's got this. He's, is that what we do? Friends, I think we have an awful lot to learn from the Apostle Paul here. Think about what he does at this point. Do you see that he uses his legal right to defend himself, doesn't he? Do you see that he actually asserts his legal right that are enshrined by law? Should we not be willing to do the same thing? I mean, think about what we saw a couple of weeks ago. We saw that in his goodness towards us, God has what? He has established laws in this land for the protection of his people. Should we be so fearful? Should we not be willing to use those sorts of things? But we've got to be careful, don't we? Let me qualify this. Like We only hear a couple of times in Scripture of Paul using this right as a Roman citizen. He only uses it when he is in severe danger. I am not standing before you this morning and saying, Christians have got to be crybabies. <laughs> no. It's not that we just moan about our rights at the drop of a hat, the slightest bit of opposition. It is not that at all. But if a Christian is being mistreated, and if that is against the law of the land, we should, in fact, let me be stronger, we must be willing to use the legal system to defend ourselves. 
the Christian is at liberty to use legal means of defense. Okay, secondly, notice here that Christians should respect our leaders. Christians should respect, we resort to legal means. Secondly, we respect our leaders. So you're with me so far, I'm sure. Paul has used his legal rights as a Roman citizen. Don't make the mistake, though, of thinking that Paul is completely free just because he's said that he's a Roman citizen. He's not completely free. He's still in chains. Or he's certainly, he's not being completely freed. And our, our trusty Roman commander is still completely in the dark. Okay, he's still... And you can probably imagine that he's getting a bit exasperated at this point. He still is trying to work out what is going on. Why do these people hate Paul so much? So do you see what he does in verse 30? What the Romans, the Roman commander does is he calls an informal meeting of the Sanhedrin. And we know what the Sanhedrin is. We've met it a lot of times in the book of Acts. Sanhedrin was the religious council, main religious council in Jerusalem. And the Roman commander calls his meeting and he makes Paul stand in front of these people. So Paul is in front of Sanhedrin. Do you see the first thing that happens? First thing that happens in the Sanhedrin is that Paul gets a slap around the chops. Doesn't he? He does. Like he's, you know, picture it, he's before all these religious authorities. And Paul claims that, oh, wait a minute, I, I have been living faithfully before God. And they do not like that at all. And Paul gets a, a right hook across the jaw. Now he counters this. He's, he's attacked and he's hit. He counters it with an insult. Paul calls the high priest, he calls him a whitewashed wall. And what's that rhyme that we are taught in this country as kids? Uh, I nearly forgot it there. Thankfully, it's come back. <laughs> Sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Okay? Now, I think we know that that's not true. Uh, and we've probably all been called hurtful things in the past. But a whitewashed wall, you know, is, is that all that offensive? You know, um, I'm sort of thinking, oh, I've probably been called worse things than a whitewashed wall this week, you know? But what we have to understand is that it was offensive. It was offensive. You see, what, what Jews used to do was paint the exterior. They used to whitewash the outer wall of a tomb, of a grave, so that their fellow Jews would know, okay, we give that a wide berth so that we do not become ceremonially unclean by the dead bodies that are inside. So wait a minute, do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, you are a whitewashed Whoa, you might look great from the outside. Inside you are dead bones. You look great outside, inside you are dead. It was a way of calling someone a hypocrite. And if we listen carefully, I think we can just almost hear the Sanhedrin intake of breath. You, you are calling. You are saying, what, Paul? A whitewash, you are calling the high priest? A whitewash, whoa? And it is at that that I want us to slow down. And I want us to notice Paul's reaction here. 
Because we are told that he did not know that he had just insulted the high priest. And a, a lot of guys on this portion of scripture, a lot of the commentators say, that's not true. That can't be true. It must be a mistake in the text. A lot of guys say, well, of course Paul knew that it was the high priest. I mean, how could you not know that it was the high priest that you were insulting? But what did I just say a minute ago? Do you remember? This was an informal meeting of the Sanhedrin. Like, the Sanhedrin did not officially call this meeting. Who called the meeting? The Roman commander called the meeting. So, therefore, the high priest most probably is not decked out in his high priestly garments, right? It's an informal meeting. And think about what we've seen over the past couple of months. Paul has been out of Jerusalem an awful lot over the the past while with these missionary journeys, hasn't he? He has not been there. He's had no reason to know this new high priest, Ananias. He does not know that this guy, that he is insulted as a high priest, and then see his response to this. I mean, the revelation, this is, do you see his response? Verse 5 is absolutely remarkable. Look at it. Brothers, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it was a high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Do you know, isn't that amazing? I mean, Paul's just instantly full of remorse. He's like, oh, he's apologetic. I, I, oh, I see. I have crossed the line here. Like, it's okay for me to criticize this guy. It's okay for me to disagree with the high priest, but he's a ruler. I, I'm not supposed to insult this man. And because of that, this morning, I want to say this to you. I think, with all seriousness, that here and now, God is leading us as a congregation and his people into a place of rebuke. And so I do not say this lightly. I think here God has taken us in a, in a, a place of, of necessary repentance. So you hear this. God has made it really very, very clear what he expects of his people in their attitude to those who are in government and authority over them. I mean, he makes that very clear. You know, you've got Romans 13. You've got Matthew 23. You've got 1 Peter 2. You've got parts of the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2. God makes it very clear that he expects us to show our leaders, our authorities, respect and honor that he, the Lord God, has established them in leadership. And it's our job to show them respect. And I'm asking you, have we been doing that? You think about The last couple of weeks, you think about the last month, has the church of Jesus Christ in this country, have we been above reproach in the way that we have treated and spoken about our authorities and our political leadership? Because I don't think we have. I mean, isn't it so easy for us to follow society on this. Isn't it really easy? Like, especially now, we look at Twitter or we look at Facebook and and we see people not just disagreeing with our authorities, but ridiculing authorities. It's really easy for us to, to share that, isn't it? Or it's very easy for us to write very similar, you know, quirky, funny little things about our political leadership. Isn't it? 
And then you look at this. And this is different. I mean, this here. You look at this and you see that Paul was greatly disturbed by the fact that he had insulted his leadership, wasn't he? Friends, I think what we're seeing here is that yes, and get this right, yes, the people of God are entitled to disagree with our political leadership. Absolutely we are. We can criticize our political leadership. Yes, we can. And this is how I get arrested the next bit. We are also, we are also able to disobey our government and our political leadership if they go, Acts 5, contrary to God's word. We can disagree. We can disobey. But friends, what we're seeing here is that fundamentally we should not dishonor or disrespect those who have been placed over us by Almighty God. So resort to legal means. We respect our leadership. We'll end with a third point here. See that we reveal... We should, we must reveal the real issue. We reveal the real issue. Okay, so we've seen Paul, he's used his Roman citizenship to defend himself. We've seen him insult the high priest, but show instant remorse. Honestly, see from verse 6, uh, it goes a bit pear-shaped. It, it, it's pretty ugly in the Sanhedrin from verse 6. Um, I know I'm going over uh, old ground for some of you, but you know that the Sanhedrin, this religious body, was made up of two groups. We know that. We've seen that time and time again. You've got the Pharisees in there who believed in the resurrection okay, of the dead. The other group was the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. I here am going to go contrary to some of the other commentators in this. Now, they say that what happens in the Sanhedrin here is a tactical masterstroke from the Apostle Paul. It's a work of genius, what he does. That what he does is set out to divide and conquer the Sanhedrin. Do you see where they're going with this? They say that what Paul does is he sides with one faction, he sides with the Pharisees over their belief in the resurrection, and they say that he does this, why? So that the Pharisees will show him some sympathy, they'll fight with the Sadducees, and he'll be able to sneak out the back door. You know, he divides the Sanhedrin, and he conquers it, and he's able to sort of make a sharp exit. Now, some of that is true, but surely you look at this, Surely you look at this and you see that that was not Paul's primary objective. Because remember who we have. We've got our Roman commander. He's called this. He's still in the dark. And he still wants to know what is going on. Do you see what Paul's doing? In the Sanhedrin here, Paul is trying to show the Roman commander what the real issue is. He's saying, in effect, to the Roman commander in that Sanhedrin, he's saying, see these accusations against me that I'm blasphemous and I'm against the temple and I'm against the law. That's all pardon. That's peripheral stuff. He says the real point of dispute is the gospel. 
The reason these people are standing against me is because I am standing up and I'm preaching about Jesus Christ. Look what he says, verse 7. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. So do you see what he's doing? He is not trying to defend himself. He's not trying to escape out the back door. What is he doing? He's in the Sanhedrin and he's preaching Jesus. He's in the Sanhedrin and he is testifying about his Lord. That is why the next day... Jesus appears, verse 11. What does Jesus say? Just as you have been defending yourself? No. Just as you have been testifying about me in Jerusalem, so you could go and do the same. You're going to bear witness to me in Rome. And because of that, friends, I think what we have here is a template for us. That our job, ready for this, as Christians, in all circumstances, is to do what? is to reveal the good news. That is our job. Now, hear me on this. This works for you on a personal level. That if you're opposed, or if you're accused, and you think, well, I'm not going to be accused, but you are. Think about it with your friends. Oh, you're a Christian. You're homophobic. You're a Christian. You're intolerant. Well, do you see from this that even in that circumstance, your priority, our priority, it isn't to be vindicated. Our priority with that isn't even to be declared righteous. What is our priority? Our priority is to reveal Jesus Christ, to point those people to Jesus, to point them to the cross. It works on a personal level. But I think most of all, it works for the church before our government. It works for our church before authorities. Let me ask you this. Isn't it true that so often the problems start when the church begins to think of itself as a political organization? Isn't that the problem? Like we like to think of ourselves as having a great charter to sort of implement rather than seeing that we have a great commission to obey. The problems start when we like to think of ourselves as activists. We are activists for social change. We're not. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Do you see it? That we are not to be sidetracked. That the job of the church, just like Paul in the Sanhedrin, that the job of the church before government, before authority, is to cut through all the peripheral stuff and all the mess and our job before government is to reveal the glory of the gospel. To do that consistently, pointing people to the gospel. That is the job of the church. And I'll end with this. I wonder this morning if there are any Roman commanders in the congregation this morning. Do you see what I mean? Four times, I think it is. Maybe five times. We are told that there's this man, this Roman commander, and he is dead to get to the real issue. He is desperate to find out the truth. Maybe that's why you're in church this morning. Are you here? Is your heart restless? Like, I need to know the truth. Friends, can I tell you that the real issue this morning is how you stand before the ultimate and unrivaled authority. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he is the one who has truly government upon his shoulders. Jesus. 
Jesus is the one that holds the keys to death and Hades. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the one who, who has who has a kingdom that stretches into eternity. The real issue is how you stand before him this morning. Now ask yourself, how do you stand before Jesus Christ? Have you genuinely submitted to his rule? Is he actually your king this morning? Is he your authority truly? If so, oh, come on. I mean, are we not in here this morning with a purpose of praising him, you know, praising our ruler. Think about what he's done. He has, by the cross, given us all the rights and the respect and the privileges of what? Citizens. Citizens. Citizens of heaven. Isn't that true? That of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Do you see it? That he and he alone is the only one who can stand before his people and he can say all authority. Isn't that a statement? All authority in heaven, all authority in earth, it's been given to me. You see that? It is our king. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that, that deserves all of our praise and all of our respect this morning. That is he that deserves all of our honor. Let's pray.